The Black Talk Media Project would like to invite you to become a member of the BTR Community subscription-based social media platform. BTR Community is a platform that was set up for the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black radio network online. For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive space to share information with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platforms. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations across the United States. The best way to show your support and appreciation for what we do here at Black Talk Radio is to subscribe. Help us to help you be informed. Join btrcommunity.com today. The views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. broadcast of Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed. I'm sitting in on this broadcast from behind the enemy lines of USA Inc. Today is a Friday. It is June the 22nd, 2018. Good to be with you all. Right off the top, I just want to please encourage you, or I should encourage you, please to continue to support if you are supporting and if you have not supported the Black Talk Media Project, which manages the Black Talk Radio Network and btrcommunity.com. Please consider making a donation today of any amount. Every amount is appreciated, and it will go towards our media operations and some of the projects that we have been a part of over the years. Also, check out btrcommunity.com for just $24 a year. You can become part of a social media network that does not exploit your data, your information for profit. We, again, are a non-profit. We don't even display ads on that social media platform. How do we support it? With your $24 subscription. That's btrcommunity.com. All right, so I'm doing this special broadcast. Uh, I shouldn't call it special, but I'm doing this live broadcast of BTR News today because the 6 o'clock slot is normally occupied by Tando Radio Show, and Brother Dave, who hosts that show, is not able to do a show today as he's traveling. Um, just to let y'all know, we were expecting him yesterday. I filled in for him on Tando Radio Show along with Brother Ross uh, helping me out, and we were kind of concerned about him because we didn't hear from him, but I did get a text from him 
Um, today, let me know it was a problem with scheduling and what have you when he wasn't able to call in and do the show. All right, so good to know that he's okay and he's out and about taking care of business and what have you. So that is why I'm doing a live broadcast of BTR News today. I am scheduled to be joined by a longtime friend of BTR News, and that's Kwabana Rasuli of Clear the Airways Project. There's a number of things that we're going to talk about. He's going to be with me during this first hour. Um, the main thing that I want to talk about, and we're going to save this with Brother Kwabana as the last thing we speak with him about, but I had not even planned on touching this topic today. I've touched it in a video I made in the past seven days. It's on our YouTube channel. Also posted to Black Talk Radio News uh, feed on blacktalkradionetwork.com. But Yvette Carnell, as you can see from the title of my promo, it says, is Yvette Carnell right in assuming pan-Africanism is dead? And if it is, who killed it? Who killed pan-Africanism if you take the position that is dead? All right, so what we're going to do is uh, talk to him about that. Let me just read a little bit to put you in context of how I plan to discuss it. Um, at the same time, though, if we get any callers on this, I don't want to hear anybody calling Yvette Carnell a coon, a mulatto, or any other derogatory name. We can disagree with people's positions on topics and issues without engaging in that childish name calling, which is just incorrect behavior. Because when you name call someone, what you're doing is dehumanizing them. And we don't ever want to dehumanize other people, especially people in our own group. We can disagree all day long and we can express that disagreement, but I feel that it should not come out in the form of derogatory name calling. With that said, this is what I wrote for the promo today. YouTuber Yvette Carnell has created a backlash of criticism for her declaration that Pan-Africanism is dead and using comments by individual continental celebrity Africans who are not Pan-Africanists to make her point, which seems a deceptive tactic to employ. Oh, by the way, y'all have to excuse me. I get scatterbrained sometimes, but I wasn't going to talk about this, but it came up when I called Brother um, Kwabana earlier today, and he asked me if I had heard about it. And, and you know, he said that she used this African, continental African sister who was in the movie Black Panther when she was asked about what does she know about American slavery or the enslavement of Africans in America, and the person replied that they didn't know much about it at all, and then went on to say that uh, America is not the center of the universe. Okay, I didn't hear the comments. That's how they were relayed to me by Brother Kwabana, and definitely he can elaborate on that. So that's why I decided to do this topic. Now, I don't know what Yvette Carnell's definition of pan-Africanism is, you know, we we have existing words that people then make up new definitions for, and that leads to confusion. And so I think that when you comment on something or you use a word, that you should be informed about what that term means and the definition, the universal definition, and not making up your own definition of existing words 
or terms because again it's just going to lead to confusion so I looked up you know some definitions of pan-Africanism and I came across several but this is the one that I came across that I uh, most subscribe to pan-Africanism definition pan-Africanism is a worldwide intellectual movement that aims to encourage and strengthen bonds of solidarity between all people of African descent. It is based on a belief that unity is vital to economic, social, and political progress and aims to unify and uplift people of African descent, no matter where you are on the continent, okay? Whether you're on the continent, whether you're in the Caribbean, whether you're in the United States, whether you're in the UK, whether you, wherever you are, uh, African descendant people uniting, and I know 100% unity is impossible. We're just going to have some differences that would prohibit us from working with other people that look like us because they might sound, because they might have adopted white supremacist ideology and what have you. <laughs> and that's on my mind because I just got through making a video um, on that topic. And I kind of think that's why some black people are using stereotypes and denigrating continental Africans and using an example of one or two, maybe three or four, all right, Africans from, from the continent who are not socially nor politically conscious and then to use those as examples to say something like, well, Pan-Africanism is dead or Africans don't care about African-Americans or nobody else. See, people have individual thoughts, but their individual thoughts do not represent an entire group. And we should know that better than most, considering how we have been, been targets of such stereotypes. All right, so again, as I stated, you know, uh, Brother Kwabinet will be coming on and we'll be asking, I'm asking, not we, I'm asking, if Yvette Carnell is displaying ignorance on the subject, and if she is using the same tactics of showcasing that the white supremacist media uses to denigrate and stereotype African descendant people all over the world. All right. So uh, uh, let me check my board and I see a brother Kwabana is here. But the first thing that we're going to talk about, because I want to say that for last, we're only going to be with him about 45 minutes um, or less because he has a radio show of his own that he has to do, but we'll carry the topic over to the second hour. But we also want to briefly touch upon rapper Nicki Minaj, who finally admitted that she has used sex to sell her persona to sell records. After denying it years ago, which I linked to many of these articles and stuff I, I talked to you about in the promos so that you can go read them for yourself. Now, today she is wondering if she contributed to young girls and women becoming easy, quote unquote, or hoes, quote unquote. Minaj states first that I don't really know how to say that without being offensive before continuing with her thoughts about strippers and Instagram girls. Maybe I was naive, 
but I didn't realize how many girls were modern-day prostitutes, she begins. Whether you're a stripper or whether you're an Instagram girl, these girls are so beautiful and they have so much to offer. But I started finding out that if you give them a couple of thousands of dollars and you can have sex with them, I was like, yikes, it's just sad that they don't know their worth. It makes me sad as a woman. And it makes me sad that maybe I've contributed to that in some ways. And I have to say, yes, you have, Nikki. And it is good to see some maturation um, in, in your consciousness as you've been at this for a very long time. And she's in her 30s now. And, you know, it, it takes some people longer than others. And, you know, I'm also reminded of the program Real Life Radio Show did where they was like, when you know better, you do better. Sometimes, maybe, you might do better. And so, here we got Nicki Minaj being self-reflective, looking at this issue of hoism, okay, prostitution and what have you. And if she's contributed to that through her music, through the images, the hyper-sexualized images that she put out, and that's good. That's, that's a great thing. For her to question herself, but whether or not she stops doing it, which I'm going to tell you, no, she isn't going to stop doing it because just today she put out a video of her twerking in a pool. OK, but I find, though, more interesting is that you got a couple of writers for art for publications like The Root, which is a um, which is a publication that targets black people. It was started by Henry Louis Gates, but. Um, it was bought out by Univision years ago. And so I say it's a publication that targets black people. It's not a black publication any longer. But it's just it's just interesting to see these writers now turn on Nicki Minaj and say, hey, you're slut shaming or or you shouldn't be talking bad about sex workers and, and all of that kind of stuff, you know. And I'm going to play a track. Um, I'm gonna play this track from way too way too too in, from the Nile, which was sent to me in 2012 by these young girls' parents. These are three sisters who are black. Uh, this was back in 2011, and they put out a song titled "Open Letter to Nicki Minaj." These are young girls saying, "Hey, Nicki, we love you, but your what you're promoting may have a detrimental impact on young girls like us." And what have you. So I, here it is. Again, that was in 2012, but here it is in 2018. Nicki Minaj is doing some self reflection along those lines, and then we got people attacking her and, and characterize, mischaracterizing her comments as slut shaming and what have you. You know, it's all cool. Everybody, look, I don't attack sex workers either because I know some people do that because they have no other options and, and rather than be homeless and some of them have drug problems and what have you, but others see it as a way to get six figure bank accounts, you know, while still laying in the bed and what have you. But it, it's funny how everybody seems to be cool with sex work and say, Hey, ain't, we shouldn't slut shame. And I agree. We shouldn't slut shame anybody, but I don't think that's what she was doing. But if your daughter was on Instagram selling her body to the to the highest bidder 
or what have you. How would you feel about it then? Would you be encouraging your daughter? Yeah, girl, go get that money, honey. Yeah, yeah, go after them basketball players and them football players that got all that money that be making it rain up in the strip club and all that. You mean to tell me that you'd be all for your daughters doing that? I wouldn't. I wouldn't turn my back on my daughters. I would still love them with the unconditional love that a parent should have, but you better believe I would not be supportive of that behavior and I would be discouraging that behavior. So that's what we got on tap for tonight on Black Talk Radio News. And we're going to go to the phone line. I see Brother Kwabana Rasuli has joined us from and Brother Kwabana represents Clear the Airways Project, which has been cl- trying to clear the airways of the radio stations that's putting out all of this garbage music that targets black people to get us to commit genocide and engage in other negative behaviors. Brother Kwabana, welcome to BTR News. Hey, what's up, Brother Scotty? How you feel, man? Hey, I, I feel energetic today, man. I'm feeling pretty good. You know, all things considered that I'm trapped behind these enemy lines, but hey, you know, we keep soldiering on. So, Brother Quabana. Well, yeah, go ahead, bro. You know, when we talk to children about this uh, issue, when we deal with Clear the Airways Project, we typically ask the, the people, who's the only female rapper that's consistently been um, out there for the last 10 years? And they always answer Nicki Minaj. They always answer Nicki Minaj, always, no question. And for 10 years, or probably a little bit more now, she's been pushing, you know, immoral, um, decadent strip club-like behavior on, on the masses of our people, masses of our youth, of our young girls, our little girls in particular, and continues to do it. And so this article came as a, uh, is interesting to say the least. We saw the headline recently when one of my comrades shared the headline. But, you know, she's absolutely right. That's what she's been doing. Exactly what she's been doing is promoting that sort of behavior to our to our women, you know, as the way to act as a woman. You know, it's just Lil' Kim Part 2, pretty much. You know, there's a song out we just shared it the other day. We played it yesterday on the radio, the uh, European-owned flop hop radio station in Chicago called Power 92.3, down in the DM, that she's uh, on a remix with Yo Gotti. Somebody eating, eating her ass, uh, eating ice cream out her ass crack. You know, that sort of thing. That she constantly raps like that and talks like that. She and this was on, I'm sorry, Brother Kwabner, this was on a uh, 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 FCC licensed radio station going out to the community? Yeah, going out to the young Africans in, uh, in Chicagoland yesterday. And constantly they play the song Motorsport, where she's on with Cardi B, who was uh, Lil' Kim and Nikki Garbage Part 3. She's on that song. Uh, motorsport with the Migos uh, talking about get you a straw and you know this P is juicy get you a straw and when they when they use the P word they just take out the U you can hear the, the P and you can hear the SSY they just scramble out the U get you a straw and you know this P is juicy and, and she got an Uzi or something in her trunk right now I think it's Cardi that talks about the gun she has in her trunk no she says you can get hit with the Uzi all of your all of your something are dead they can get hit with the Uzi then she goes on to say Get you a straw in, you know this pea is juicy. Wow, you know, and I was quite surprised. And again, 
I haven't seen any change in her behavior because, again, she could have just said this to start controversy to get publicity for her album, like many people were saying Kanye's Trump comments and telling Candace Owens, an anti-black black person, saying, you know, I like the way you think and creating this controversy or buzz in the media right before you get ready to drop an album. And as we know, Nicki Minaj just dropped our album with a cover of herself. Um, it's three images of her, and one image is, is rubbing the shoulders of the other image that's sitting in the chair with the other image that is laying down, I mean, excuse me, kneeling between the legs of the image sitting in the chair with her tongue stuck out like she about to, you know, eat something. That was about a year ago, right? That was about a year ago. Was it? I don't keep up like yeah. it. Like, you know, that's why we got you, Brother Quabner. I can call you and ask you, what's the latest <laughs> garbage out there? Because I don't keep up with it. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe, like you, I think it's some sort of publicity stunt. It's like what Kanye did. Even like what we're going to talk about, excuse me, talk about in a little bit with Yvette Carnell. I think that may be some sort of publicity stunt with her. I don't know. Because that, that is so idiotic and, and, and silly. But uh, yeah, Nikki Garbage man is is uh, is is an enemy of of the people basically is by what she's putting out there. Enemy of the people, and these people need to start being called out on that. Of course, we know the, the puppeteers that pull the strings of these um, ratchet artists. We know who they are. But you know, they'll, they'll if Nikki was gone, Cardi could get pushed up more. They'll find some other SZA, uh, these other people to push up more. Just like you know, Triple X is now gone. They got others to put in this place. So there were plenty of others that are doing the same sort of ratchet violent, vulgar music that he pushes out there to the masses of our people, too. So they, they are um, all in on this destruction, this destructive media that they're pushing on the people, man. You know, this brother gets shot and killed last week, earlier this week in Florida, and we got people over there crying and rap artists crying about it and, you know, writing all sorts of tweets about it. But this is what y'all rap about. You, didn't you just rap about riding up on uh, somebody and shooting them? Didn't you just call it, drop an N-bomb on us? A word that's used, uh, a word that is used on us to dehumanize us, to say our life ain't worth nothing. So if you shoot and kill us, it ain't no big deal. That, that's what you rap about all the time. So why are you surprised that this young brother gets shot and killed? When he even raps about, you know, Scotty, I was with the, uh, we were getting ready for the Malcolm X program, where the United African Movement puts on out here, Pan Africanists that we put out here, out here for our great Pan Africanist Malcolm X, uh, whose, whose spirit and message is still alive and well amongst the people. And so as we got the cake for the event, uh, we went to a black-owned spot, you know, young brother was there, so we were sharing with him these pluggers that we have that talk about how Rick Ross and Kodak Black are wrong. Black women are not B's and H's. So he looked at it, we talked about it. He said, well, you know, you ought to check out Triple X and Tashi Young. I said, okay, yeah, I heard of him. I'll check him out. So I just checked out his lyrics to his hottest song, Look At Me. Looked at the lyrics, it was all about, you know, oral sex pretty much and I'm saying it in a, in, a, in a nice way so I shared the lyrics with him he said yeah I said, now come on brother is that conscious you work here with your mama and your grandmama your mama and your grandmama is that the type of music that, you know that you really and he, he admitted that no you're right that, that music is not it's inappropriate he has a line in there where he talks about uh, if you shoot at him or something he's going to put holes in your parents I'm going to put holes in your parents you know, if you put a, show him a gun or something, he's going to put holes in your parents. He talks about effing, effing a woman in the throat, you know. And then, you know, so, bro, 
these artists, and so just because after that you come up with a video, a confusing video with a little young brother and a young uh, white boy, and you got a, a, a rope, and you, you know, you're kind of lynching, the white boy gets on the rope and he's lynching the little baby, the little child. That, that is, uh, you know, people think he's making you think now or something. Come on, man. Wow. Come on, bro. This, this stuff is crazy, man. Well, you know, before we transition on the topic, and I do want to play that track by uh, Way Too Too from the now, I'm probably mispronouncing that, Y22, I believe is how you pronounce it, that um, I don't know if it was you, Brother Kwabna, somebody or their parents who had sent me the track in the open letter to Nicki Minaj. But what I want you to comment before we play that on is I shared with you some of these writers for like The Root, The Grio, and others who are now coming down on Nicki Minaj for telling the truth about what she's contributed to. What are your thoughts on that? It's just more confusion, you know, because, uh, you know, now it's what they call it, like you said, slut shaming. I know uh, they were talking about Kanye waste his uh, girlfriend before. Um, um, Amber Rose. Yeah, the one that goes with uh, 21 Savage. I guess they still go together. Uh, when people talked about her, that slut shaming, or he was slut shaming her or something. It's just another way, man, to uh, have a, to try to normalize this sort of behavior that is not conducive to the evolution or not conducive to our growth as a people. That's that's what it is, bro. And you know, and these artists and this media that gets on gets involved in this, we gotta understand where they're coming from. You know, uh, Henry Louis Gates, Skip Gates, that Sam Bodair who started the Root and get sold it. So I, you know, man, I, I, I'm down with Black Talk Media Project. <laughs> thank you, thank you for that. Let me pull up this track and then we'll transition it to this issue with Yvette Carnell and Pan-Africanism, which I really don't think she's very knowledgeable on Pan-Africanism and, you know, saying stuff out of ignorance, you know. Maybe she's not plugged into the Pan-Africanist, you know, that I'm plugged into, but I, I just think it's incorrect. But this is the letter to Nicki Minaj by these young girls were like adolescents at the time. I think the oldest one was 12 maybe. Uh, This came out in 2012. And this is when Nicki Minaj was denying that she was using sex to sell records, but I found another article where she admitted to selling sex to sell records. But this is Y22 from the now open letter to Nicki Minaj. you understand how we feel as children towards your music. Mostly all the girls in my school sing your songs all day. Many follow and want to be you. We write and hope that you can write and start to put out music that will teach us to have respect and learn to show each other love. 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 Let's go. Hey, Miss Nikki, I'm hoping that you receive this letter. The situation is drastic, but you can make it better. I love your style and the flow and way that you push it through. But I'm a serious confusion, so can I talk to you? I think the music you make must lead us in discussion. And we look up to you, Nikki, please avoid the interruptions. I thought you loved us as fans, but maybe I don't know. Because you avoided the children when I heard that Ellen show. You said that teaching the children was the job of the dad and mom. So do you lead us astray? Never care about the harm. But wait, all of these girls be looking up to you. 
Podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And welcome back to Black Talk Radio News with Scotty Reed on this Friday evening. We have our brother from Clear the Airways Project, Brother Kwabna Rasuli. We just got through listening to a portion of the track. It still had about a minute and a half, but our time is limited with Brother Kwabna. But that was way too too or why too too in the Nile. And I'm going to tell you, I tried to find this on the internet today, and it's been banned off of YouTube. It I couldn't find the video of it anywhere, and I had to dig it's in my. Uh, yes, it's it's it has been taken down, so I couldn't find it, man. I was like, I know I got that track in my my media vault, and I was able to find it. So so you know. Listen, Malcolm X told us the media controls the minds of the masses. For anybody that thinks that this music that is coming over these FCC licensed airways for anybody to hear it is not contributing. I'm not going to say it's the sole cause, but it is a big factor in contributing to the the um, 
incorrect behavior of some of our youth and leading them down down that path. And then, you know, whether it was a publicity stunt or not, whether she was sincere or not, it's just shameful to me that grown people writing for these publications that when Nicki Minaj said, you know what, I might have contributed to something negative that I'm seeing now. And for you to then try to mischaracterize her as slut shaming, as, you know, whatever. So that's all I got to say about that. You got any final words before we on that uh, topic before we transition? No, it's, it's just like like you said, what Malcolm said. He said it back in 1962 when in L.A. Uh, in response to the shooting, the police shooting of uh, Brother Stokes of the Nation of Islam. And he talked about at that wherever that community meeting he, that was being held, how the media images of black people makes the con- conditions conducive for white folks, police in particular at that time, to react to us like they do. They're scared of us. They're, they're, they're thinking that we got knives and guns. And if you think it was bad in 1962, what do you think about in 2018? When you see this rookie cop just, just get out uh, of training or wherever, or just get sworn in and, and shoots the brother running away from him in Pittsburgh. And so the Malcolm was right then. He was correct about the media, like you just said, and how it puts those images out there uh, on us and just like he's correct about I'm sure the next topic we're about to talk about right so let's go ahead and transition to this topic um, again I first covered this topic in this particular video that Yvette Carnell put out Pan-Africanism is dead it's because I, cause I don't follow her anymore on, on YouTube it's just some things that she said that just rubbed me the wrong way that I was like man all I'm getting is negative energy when I watch these videos, so I'm, I'm not going to watch them. And I think she's done a great job, her and Antonio Moore, in breaking down economics and how black people don't got no wealth in this country. But then it started taking a turn towards demonizing Africans, okay, continental Africans. And then when she first started it, I even got her point then that you have these politically and socially unconscious continental Africans who come here and the white supremacists, let's say for a university, because that's the example that she used. You had this Duke University, which is here in North Carolina, administrator, I don't know if someone recorded her comments or if she stated them openly. I don't remember, but this is a white woman saying how they prefer to enroll continental Africans as opposed to African Americans because continental Africans are less likely to be engaged in in campus demonstrations that's calling out racism or what have you like we've seen you know on different campuses over the years where where they're calling out you know the racism the historic racism and the current period of racist policies and celebrations of white supremacy that these universities have. So I so you know I I got that. I got that, Brother Quab, and I got that. But still though, that ain't the continental Africans' fault. And I you know, I learned today that uh I think it's Kwame Nkrumah actually came here to the United States and went to college here. As other continental as other revolutionary uh, Pan-Africanists did, came here to study, and then took that back uh, uh, to the continent and what have you. So my thing is, why you attacking the individual and using an individual who is politically and socially unconscious, who didn't give himself that, that university slot, 
and what have you, and why aren't, and why aren't you focusing on the people that's causing the problem? Again, you know, I'm apply this to a number of things that that I see with black people is that we adopt the ideology of white supremacy, whether we you know, are. Scotty, go go ahead, brother Quabner. I mean, I'm just talking at the bit because I'm just thinking when you mentioned Kwame Nkrumah, it made me think about one thing. You know, he went to Lincoln University, went back to Africa, Pan-Africanist, you know, convened the fifth Pan-African Congress, uh, was there. I mean, I shouldn't say convened it because it was convened by uh, Marcus Garvey's widow and uh, W.B. Du Bois in uh, 1945 in uh, Manchester, England. Kwame Nkrumah was there. Others, I think, who went, went to the U.S. and went to college here went back and did beautiful things for uh, the unification of Africa and for freedom and for the end of colonialism. But you also had Africans who came over and, and studied in the U.S. and continue to study in the U.S. to go back and be absolute idiots on the mama land. Just like, this, just like you have Africans here in the U.S. who go to school and some come out and do powerful, beautiful things. We've got to like, think about Marcus Klein. He's an African from Detroit, went to Rutgers, and now he's got one of the most powerful, beautiful uh independent African institutions in Chicago, uh, branching to Detroit and Atlanta, doing beautiful things. But yet you got these other Africans who born here who go to these universities and come out and do stupid stuff, you know, and, and contribute to European supremacy and the destruction of black folks. So Yvette is out of line, and, and really she, she's it's dangerous because, like Malcolm said, the media, she has a lot of followers and people listen to her. And so you're going to take that, that, that issue and say that Pan-Africanism is now dead? You know, and then she took the other issue just recently of the sister that played in, in uh, Panther. Uh, took a clip of TMZ of all people, some euros from TMZ, asking her, "Did they teach about slavery when you were in school in Africa?" And she was like, "I evidently they didn't." And then she said that America, the, the world don't center around America, and they jumping on that. And now that's the reason why Pan Africanism is dead. You know, it's ridiculous. Yeah. There's a brother, Mark Fancher, uh, who wrote a book called Pan Africanism or retro Negroism about 10 years ago. And one of the things he talks about when he was, uh, he's an attorney, when he was with a group of uh, attorneys in Ghana, and the issues that they talked about when they were in Ghana were issues dealing with policy in the community, uh, a lot of things, things they need to do to improve the country. He said you can't get with a group of black lawyers in the U.S. and then not talk about race because we're dealing with the issue of race. But over in Africa, you're not dealing with that issue of race per se because you're, they're all African. You know, you, all your, the, the, uh, the leaders are African. The, uh, the instructors, the professors, everybody's African. So they're dealing with their own issues right now. So there's some things that are different in different parts of the world, different parts of the diaspora. That doesn't uh, negate the fact that Pan-Africanism is important, that it is our solution, our only solution, if you ask me. Everything goes back to us unifying. The U.S. knows it's important. That's why they got Army. That's why they got Africanum all over Africa. Right. And as I mentioned to you when I called you earlier today, you know, and that's why I put in the title, if Pan-Africanism is dead, which it's not, and I, in my last video, gave an example, and I don't know Tony's last name, and I'm not going to try to butcher that, that brother's name, but a Nigerian billionaire who set up a foundation asking for people in the African diaspora, I think he was, the last thing I saw them promoting was in Haiti asking for black people, African-descended people to submit business plans that they are going to fund for you. That's Pan-Africanism, okay? But then, you know, I said, if it is dead, who killed it? Let me ask you, Brother Kwabana, 
and although he isn't a, a black person or, or African as, as we're discussing it in terms of the African diaspora, but he is an African in considering that he lived and he was born on the continent of Africa, but was probably one of his greatest uh, pan-Africanists of late. And who killed Muammar Gaddafi in 2011? Brother Kwabna. Who killed him? Uh, shoot, U.S. imperialism, French, you know, because Europeans, they killed him. They had him set up and killed him, bombed, bombed Libya like crazy, a place with the highest uh, uh, per capita income of anywhere else in the whole continent of Africa. And they, they killed him. They killed him. They didn't, they didn't want that. So, And he was also about, you know, spreading wealth, some of the wealth that they were getting from the oil resources to other countries, to other areas in Africa, and develop Africa, and having Africa use its own currency looking towards using the gold dinar as their own currency instead of all this currency printed in Europe. No, we're going to deal with our own currency. So they, they killed him. Well, Gaddafi was a great Pan-Africanist. So, you know, again, I feel like while Pan-Africanism isn't as popular as it was when Malcolm X was promoting it, when he was telling us, hey, we need to establish um, lines of communication with our brothers and sisters in Africa. And then, you know, he also spoke to these unconscious, socially unconscious, politically unconscious Africans who may have a negative view of African Americans. And and even back then, Malcolm X was saying that these white people for the U.S. government through the, the CIA uh, the U.S. aid uh, organization, which is under the State Department, going over there telling them African leaders, hey, don't worry about them black people over there in America. They don't care nothing about Africa. They don't identify as Africans and what have you. So we're dealing with a lot of misinformation, a lot of disinformation, and a lot of white supremacist propaganda that is spread globally that will give people around the world, not just in Africa, a negative view of African Americans. But again, those are those individuals. And working. Yeah, they, go ahead, yeah. Brother Kwabman. Go ahead. Check out. If you can check out Malcolm's uh, last message, it was he talked about how his house just got bombed, so it was done right before he was killed. He went to Detroit that morning. He deals with all of that. It was one of the greatest speeches I think. I just listened to it again the other day, and it was like, wow, one of the best speeches he ever did. But he deals a lot with Pan Africanism and European imperialism, and how we we have to unite with our brothers and sisters, and how a lot of us not just Africans in the, uh, from the mama land who are confused, a lot of us here are who are confused, Yvette being one of those. And if, if, if you don't deal with Pan-Africanism, if you're not, you know, you don't know about it, be quiet. Leave it alone. You deal with, like you said, deal with the issue, or the uh, individual issue of the Duke thing, if you want to deal with that. But don't be coming up in here, you know, saying that Carlos Cooks, that A. Sylvester Williams, that Marcus Garvey, that, you know, that, that Kwame Nkrumah, that Kwame Toure, that Seiko Toure, that they didn't know what they were talking about. Right. You know, you cried. The WB the boys didn't know what he was talking about. Right. Right. No. Nah, nah. That Diallo, that um, that myself, and that those of us who studied, that all of good brothers and sisters and all African people's revolutionary party that understand that our solution is African unity, Pan Africanism under scientific socialism. That that we that we don't know what we're talking about. That we haven't studied this. That we don't know that this is our solution. Well, apparently, y'all don't exist because Pan Africanism is dead. 
No, it's not a dead. It's not dead at all. It's alive and well. It's alive and well. It, it needs to be uh, worked out. You know, I'm part of a group, man. Um, that is called Nesbis, the National Society of Black Engineers. And, and our group, our uh, organization, I would say this is. I would say twenty, probably twenty percent Africans from the diaspora, maybe twenty five percent. That's how that's how many Africans from the diaspora and Africa are involved in this in this group, which is based in the United States. And these are technicians, these are African scientists and students who are studying engineering and, and science. Man, so Pan Africanism is alive and well. We got a threshold, man, of doing something. How quick this stuff can change. If you look at in the late nineties, what was going on over in the Far East, people were like, Take all your resources out of the Far East, it was collapsing. The economics over there was collapsing and put them in Africa. And since then, look how China has gone into Africa. That was 20 years ago. And China is all up in there now. The U.S. is still up in there, too. They're battling over it. And so, but we as Africans, we have to understand that and don't listen to the, the ignorance of Yvette Carnell and let's start studying more. This, you know, this may be a good thing because it's an uh, opportunity to start studying more about Pan-Africanism. Check out the book Pan-Africanism or Retro-Negroism from Mark Fancher. Study Kwame Nkrumah. You know, study some, study, listen to some of these lectures from John Henry Clark who said Pan-Africanism or perish. <laughs> so, no, this, this may be a good thing. Just Or listen to Malcolm's last speech. Hey, hey, and, hey, Scotty, and Scotty, you know, one thing I forgot to mention earlier, too, man, because i, I got to get on to this radio show, this conscious hip-hop show we do. But coming up this week, we know we got these BET awards out in L.A. on Sunday. Uh, also not owned by black people, not owned by Africans. We have this NBA uh, award show. I think that may be tomorrow night. It may be tonight. I don't know. But, man, this what they're doing to us in terms of dumbing us down with this ignorance. You know what? If Pan-Africanism was going to die, one of the reasons, one of the things that was going to kill it is this uh, ignorant media, this ignorant music that they force feeding the masses of the people. But that's why we struggle so hard against that dumbing down music. But we're saying that the NBA has to end their ratchet relationship with all this killer music, all this violent and vulgar music, too. And as they got DJ Khaled and I think Snoop Dogg leading their NBA awards show, I don't know where they're having it at, but that's coming up this weekend, too. But, man, they, they, as we do this, bro, they continually just pound on us, pound and push on us with all this negativity. And, again, for Yvette, with all the, you know, the, the listeners and people that she has, you know, and all those, you know, kind of different type of stuff she does, I heard her go on that tangent, man, on that uh, attack against Pan-Africanism was dangerous. And she needs to be checked on that seriously. And she has been. All right, Brother Kwabna, as you mentioned, I know you got your um, conscious hip-hop radio show that you need to get to. But I want to thank you, man, on such short notice to come on and talk about these important topics. Do you have any final comments before you go? No, man, just wanted to thank you again, too, Brother Sante Sante to you, too, and check out... Check us out at Clear the Airways Project. We definitely need the people's assistance. Also, the National Black Leadership Alliance coming up on July 11th. Uh, we're going to have a big rally and some big direct action that's going to take place to deal with this music. This is Black Music Month. And right now, the, the majority of the music that's being force-fed to our people is, is dangerous. It's embarrassing. It's some of the worst music in the history of, of, of music right now. And it's targeting and focus, focusing on black people. And we have to do something to, to change that. All right, Brother Quab. Now, I don't want to hold you, man, but thanks again. And, of course, you know we're going to stay in touch. Sante, Sante, brother. Peace. All right. So, uh, let me see. 
we got about 12 minutes before we get to the top of the broadcast. I, um, I didn't want to open up the phone lines because my time was limited with Brother Quabino, but if anybody has any questions or comments that they would like to share on this topic, is Pan-Africanism dead? And if it is dead, who killed it? Or who's murdering it right now? And I don't think that any black person should be engaged in that. And I'm going to just blame it on ignorance. You don't know what you know until you know it. And perhaps Yvette Carnell just isn't simply plugged in the pan-Africanist uh, movements in this country and worldwide. Uh, you know, shout out to our listeners of Black Talk Radio Network's digital radio station in the African diaspora, including the continent of Africa. We, we, we are a global radio station, and it is because of using this line of communication, as Malcolm X said, we needed to open up that, you know, the new abolitionist movement was able to spread into Africa, and we had Africans reach out to Max Parthas and want us to come there to help them with their abolitionist movement because slavery was never abolished. The model here that the United States adopted after 1865, after the Civil War, prison slavery has now spread to not only the continent of Africa, but other countries with huge populations of African descendant people, black people, and guess who's making up the majority of those prisoners. Obviously, the majority of the prisoners are going to be black, if not all the prisoners, if you're talking Uganda, which has cotton farms, prison farms, where, you know, they got them picking cotton out in the field. <laughs> you know, like you was on an 1800 plantation here in the United States and what have you. But, you know, you got them out in Australia as well where they're preying upon the aboriginal black people of Australia and they predominantly make up the prison population and what have you. So, you know, pan-Africanism isn't dead. And I think that some of us just don't have the proper definition of what pan-Africanism is. So let me read that definition for you again. Pan-Africanism is a worldwide intellectual movement that aims to encourage and strengthen bonds of solidarity between all people of African descent. It is based on the belief that unity is vital to economic, social, and political progress and aims to unify and uplift people of African descent. Okay, so why was Malcolm X pushing it? Because he knew we needed allies outside of the United States in, in the push for civil rights and then human rights. He knew we needed African countries and he even threw in Arab countries. He knew we needed them to put pressure on the United States through the mechanism of the United Nations. Some of this is still going on to this day, but because we live in the United States, we may mostly only have access to U.S.-based media, and even if we have access to the internet, we don't go to these African-produced YouTube channels or or the websites that they have for themselves, and and so you know we 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 are not informed about how some of them are advocating for us at the UN level. You just had the United Nations come out with a report this year saying that the United States owes reparations to African Americans, not only for slavery, but for terrorism, 
for Jim Crowism and all that, all all of that abuse. That still continues to this day. That didn't that didn't happen without some African nations signing on to that. You just had a UN panel come here and did a tour of the United States. You might not have heard about it because guess what? The U.S.-based propaganda media don't want you to know about it. But they traveled to different cities throughout the United States taking testimony on the, the violations of our human rights in this country. That's why pan-Africanism is important. Is raising these issues. And then on the flip side, that is why it is on us as African Americans, black Americans, whatever you want to classify yourself as, to put pressure on, on the U.S. government for what it's doing in Africa. Look at Libya now. Libya was, was leading, leading the charge in pan-Africanism on the continent of Africa. Libya launched a satellite a communication satellite so that Africans didn't have to rely on European satellites for cell phone service and being be charged these exorbitant rates. Gaddafi did that. He also paid for roads and other development in other African nations. All right, that's pan-Africanism. Um, in recent headlines I've been seeing on the continent of Africa, you got Africans now, and I don't know why they wasn't saying this when Gaddafi was still alive, but now they're moving towards those things that Gaddafi was proposing, like the unified African currency backed by the gold dinar. Now they're talking about, hey, we don't, we shouldn't have passports for citizens of African nations traveling to each nation. Okay, we shouldn't we shouldn't have that. We should be able to move uh, among each other freely. Then other other nations are having economic development partnership. That's pan-Africanism. It's not dead. So if you don't know about something, I would think that you would do at least try to do some research or invite on somebody who's more knowledgeable than you before you declare something to be dead that you just don't seem to be that much in tune with. So that's why I say it's kind of disingenuous. It's kind of disingenuous to use a TMZ video of an African person from the continent, a celebrity at that, and ask them, hey, did y'all learn about slavery? And then she was like, hey, America ain't the center of the universe and what have you, and then say, use that comment to say, see, Africans don't care about us over here. See, pan-Africanism is dead. That's a very poor example. It's a very poor example. Everybody in Africa is not conscious. Uh, Brother Kwabna mentioned Kwame Turi, and I had seen a video where he was talking about some of the, the black bourgeois are the worst in the world in Africa because they're so materialistic. I saw an article come out of Africa the other day where this rich, wealthy Nigerian, it wasn't Tony, <laughs> it ain't the brother Tony I was telling y'all about earlier, but this wealthy African burying his father in a brand new Mercedes Benz, using the car as the coffin. Those are the people that Kwame Toure was talking about. They're dealing with classism in Africa as well. You have conscious people and then you have unconscious people. All right? So we can't be painting people 
with broad brushes. That was the, the Nigerian I just told you the story about that thought to waste all this money burying his father in a Mercedes in Nigeria where I think they said, if I remember the last report, up to 8 million, it might have been 12, it might have been 4. But it was in the millions of Nigerian children don't have access to a school, to education. But then it would be wrong for me to use that example of that guy and say, look at them Nigerians, man, they just all so brainwashed and caught up in the materialism. It'd be wrong because then I'm I'm acting like Tony, man, what is Tony's last name? I will find his name because he's come up over the last um, few broadcasts. But then I'm ignoring the Tonys of Nigeria, a black billionaire, entrepreneur, who now wants to use his wealth to fund the foundation to fund black businesses in the African diaspora. See, when we engage in stereotypes and we use an individual or a couple of examples to paint an entire people as being of that same mindset, we're engaging in the same tactics that was used against us that is used against us by white supremacists, by racist Europeans. It's just incorrect behavior. And we have to call it out because we don't want incorrect. We don't want our people programmed with incorrect behavior. We want them to have as much information as possible because when you have as much, when you have um, as much as possible information to draw from, then you could come up with a more accurate conclusion that's based on reality and not on a limited perception. All right, I'm going to take a station identification and a music break. I'm not sure if I'm going to do the entire two hours because I just got a call from my daughter and her car broke down yesterday and I need to go work on it. It overheated, and, and so anyway, she just called me, and I totally forgot that I told her, you know, get it to the house, and I'll take care of it. So, but again, um, you can give us a call at 704-802-5056. I'll, lead a, I'll uh, keep the broadcast going for another 15 minutes, and then if you would like to participate, just unmute yourself. But right now, we're going to take a station identification break and kick a music track, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Black Talk Radio News, broadcasting on the Black Talk Radio Network, the world's largest independent depository of podcasts produced by black people. We'll be back on the other side. Make Black Talk Radio your choice for digital black radio, new black media for the new millennium. The state of hip-hop is awful, straight terrible. It promotes death and destruction now. The original principles of hip-hop culture is peace, unity, love, and having fun. The principles of what we call slave hip-hop is violence, chaos, hate, and danger. Slave hip-hop must be abolished, and we must save African people from this nonsense and bring hip-hop back to where we should be. Two-thirds a person Rapings and beatings and suffering and worsens Black human packages tied up in strings 
to Black Talk Radio News on this Friday evening. It is June 22nd, 2018. So glad that you could be here with me. And again, thanks to Brother Kwabna, who's doing important work in, in trying to guard the minds of our youth through the Clear the Airways project. That was Lauren Hill, Black Rage, that we just got through here. And we got, looks like Brother Ross on the phone, area code 609, I believe that's Brother Ross 
Uh, thank you for calling in to BTR News for this 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 far and few in between live broadcasts. I try to get them in when I can get them in. But what's on your mind, good brother? Hey, peace and love. Uh, it's good to hear you this evening. I'm glad to hear um, Brother Kwame Rasui, and I'm glad you got into the um, question of uh, Pan Africanism. Um, it's funny because I've talked about the, the influence that Kwame Ture had on my entire family when we arrived here from the Caribbean, and um, that he was the one who kind of pushed us in the direction that we took as far as um, immersing ourselves in the uh, revolutionary culture of uh, understanding our heritage here when we got here. And the interesting thing, what I thought about, and I wish uh, Brother Rasuli was able to get into the origins of Pan-Africanism, because there was a particular person um, from the cult of indigenous um, or aboriginal <laughs> that kept posting all of this nonsense about Pan-Africanism's origins and eugenics theories and all this white supremacist nonsense that he was spewing, completely uneducated, but purposefully disingenuous because he hates himself. And ultimately, I was hoping that Brother Rasuli was able to get into the origins of Pan-Africanism um, because it really started with um, Edward Wilmot Blyden. Um, they're the one, he's one, and Martin Delaney, a brother, um, an African-American brother, was two of the main influencers of Marcus Garvey. Um, and of course, he was the pretty much the father of a lot of uh, Pan-Africanists that came after him, um, up to and including Minister Malcolm X. So I just thought that it was really important that we just clarify that, because there are some of our people who are not um, uneducated, but they choose to be, and they choose to ignore the truth in order to propagate white supremacist theories and lies um, to make themselves look like they're saying something of note and of substance with no true information to back it up in regards to the origin of Pan-Africanism. And I just wanted to say that, just, just to put that out there, this was our thing, started by our people to try and facilitate some sort of collective change on a massive scale for us to help each other, like you were saying earlier, globally, um, economically, politically, um, and in every way possible for us to really get together and understand that we are all sharing the same problem with the same enemy, and that problem, the problems that we have are based on our origins and how we look. And, um, you know, to me it's way beyond disingenuous when some of our people purposefully propagate these lies under this banner of not being African. Some of us just hate ourselves to the point where we'll say anything and, um, you know, say it with such conviction that uh, some of our people who are more confused would believe the nonsense that some of us spew. So I just wanted to put that out there. I think um, Sister Yvette Carnell is not very much educated on it. Um, I think part of her discussion was disingenuous, like you said, because you don't take the words of a celebrity. Celebrities are the worst people to ever discuss political things about unless that celebrity has uh, true knowledge about politics. Yeah, proper education. Exactly, like you look at Paul Robeson. Um, Paul Robeson was highly educated, highly, um, and, and, and understood the plight of black people. He traveled around the world, and, um, you know, he was a person who I didn't, didn't care if he spoke on politics because he was knowledgeable. When you go to people from anywhere, whether it's the continent here or anywhere on the planet, that is a celebrity, usually they're the least informed because the vast majority of their lives are spent entertaining or doing whatever they do to make them famous. So they don't have time to read books and research and all of that stuff. They're researching how to be better entertainers. 
So um, I just wanted to basically say thanks for that. I thought it was just very important. I just wish she was able to get into the origins, but I just wanted to toss those names out there. Martin Delaney and Edward Wilmot Blyden. Edward Blyden was a, uh, from the Caribbean. Martin Delaney was from here. And right. they both uh, had the same ideas after traveling to Africa. Um, they came back here and really started to immerse themselves in facilitating some form of uh, unity in regards to the direction that we took as a holistic group of people. So, um, like I said, great show. <laughs> Love the information you've been putting out, and I'll mute myself, but I just wanted to just put that out there now, once and for all, because this person's been, like, bombarding, um, you know, BTR community with nonsense, and, and a lot of people have been confused by the misinformation that they were propagating, so I just wanted to put that out there. Thanks again, and I'll mute myself. Good brother. All right. Thank you, Ross. And like Kwabana said, you know, Let's use let's let's use this to our advantage in a person like Yvette Carnell or anybody else that wants to declare Pan Africanism is dead to challenge people to do the research. You may have some Pan Africanist uh, organizations right there in your community, but you don't know about them. Okay, Pan Africanism is not something that's being promoted on mainstream media or in the American press in general. I don't he, I don't even see the publications targeting black people really pushing Pan Africanism. All right, the root ain't talking about Pan Africanism and, and what have you. The griot and I and there may have been some articles I'm just not aware of. I didn't see them. I don't know until I know. You know what I'm saying? But from what I have observed, you know. Pan-Africanism is not something that white people who are in charge, and I'm, you know, let me restate that. The racist white people who are in charge is not something they want you to engage in. And like I said, if it's dead, it's because the proponents of Pan-Africanism have been killed off over the years or marginalized or forced out the country or put in prison. They don't want this to spread among the masses. Learn what COINTEL was all about. Can't have Africa. You can't have. Why do you think the CIA was following Malcolm X in Africa? So let me just read this right quick. Pan Africanism stresses the need for collective self reliance. Pan Africanism exists as a governmental and grassroots objective. Pan African advocates include leaders such as Haile Selassie. That's a, the Ethiopian, uh, Julius Nayere, Ahmed Toure, Kwame Nkrumah, Thomas Sankara, and Muammar Gaddafi, grassroots organizers such as Malcolm X, Marcus Garvey, academics such as W.E.B. Du Bois, and others in the diaspora. Pan-Africanists believe that solidarity will enable the continent to fulfill its potential to independently provide for all its people. Crucially, an all-African alliance would empower African people globally. So do you, do you think that's something that the globalist white supremacists want you buying into, want you to become a part of? Of course they don't. Now, again, I'm a realist. I don't believe that 100% unity is possible. You can't try to include everybody just based on the skin color. Because as Brother Ross was saying, we got some people that are so confused that they don't even want to recognize that they're African roots or call themselves black, but they want to come among 
those who do identify as such and spread confusion. Okay? So, we just have to be cognizant of that and we have to study, study, study. Study. Make, reach out. And so, you know, it wouldn't be my position to say if I got an issue with continental Africans coming over here getting, let's say, a, a affirmative action slot in a college, which I think Yvette Carnell was create, correct, and she stated the law, and when, you know, affirmative action was passed, that it was meant for reparations for descendants of African, of slavery, African slavery here in America. That's what it was meant for. But keep the focus on the white supremacist who's in charge and the one giving away the slot. Don't blame, don't blame another victim, okay? And if I got anything to say to those, those continental Africans is, the, is that, look, you need to understand something about the social and political environment here in the United States. And you're going to have some of these racist white people who are going to try to recruit you as one of the good ones they like to showcase and to get you to engage in anti-African-Americanism to keep us from uniting and talking to each other. So I, that's what I'll be tell, telling them. I'll be putting them up on it. And if they don't want to hear it, then they don't want to hear it. You move on to the next one. You can't force people. People come into knowledge or consciousness on their own timetable. But I'm not going to do is use individual cases to paint Africa or Africans in the continent with a broad brush. Uh, Otis, we're getting a lot of background noise from you, bro, but I got you. I see you on the board. Uh, welcome to BTR. What kind of background noise? I was hearing some scratching, but it's gone now. It's gone now. You good. What's up, my brother Otis, and what's on your mind? Uh, all I wanted to do is drop a few names. Edna Barnum, B-O-N-H-O-M-M-E, is a sister that's of Haitian descent, living in Berlin. She writes on the continent of Africa all the time. She has some of the very same concerns that PLO Lumumba has in reference to Pan-Africanism and where it stands in the African dysphoria now. And part of their logic is the very same thing that started this spat with uh, Yvette Cornell. I put in the sidebar that told you that I've been following it for almost a month. I wish I could have talked when uh, Clear the Airways was on because I listened to his spat with uh, Diallo Kenyatta when uh, Wynton Marcellus waded into it about whether or not hip-hop had done more damage than the statues did. So this has been an ongoing dispute, and it and Yvette never put this out in the form that she did until she was attacked by both Kenyatta and Jared Ball for supposedly not knowing what Pan-African is. Now, I'm going to tell you how long it's been going on. I even pushed a gentleman on another platform from Time for Awakening to get Dr. Nathan Ayer to come on his show because I've been personally following Pan-Africanism since I was about 10 years old, 1963. But I told them about some readings that I could remember from 1969 when Nathan Ayer started The Black Scholar 
and he also went to cover the first Pan-African festival in Africa with all of the same people that you've been throwing names out. My point is, when we make an assessment of what's going on with Pan-Africanism, it is not just whether or not black people are meeting. It is exactly what the establishment is doing to counter Pan-Africanism. And part of that is exactly what the man spoke of before he got off the phone. AFRICOM is in every nation for a reason. The woman I just told you about, Edna Barnum, she writes about how that is happening right now in Tanzania. She gives a perfect example of how Pan-Africanism is being combated by both NGOs, AFRICOM, and the UN. So it's not just an attack on Pan-Africanism. Otis, you muted yourself. Hold up. Let me unmute you. You, We heard you say it's not just an attack on Pan-Africanism and then you cut out. Okay. It's talking about how Pan-Africanism is going to be viable if we don't do something about that. And I'm going to put the last caveat on it. And it all started with Yvette Carnell saying, if we here in America don't get our tax dollars moved so it's helping our community, Pan-Africanism is dead. Now, I don't expect you to go through all of her tapes to do it. I just happen to listen to her. It, usually on Mondays, you know what I do on Wednesdays, so I don't do her Wednesday show until usually Thursday morning. But I do, I did purposely take screenshots of all the exchanges, and you happen to touch on it. I missed your first few minutes, but I know you touched on it. What The reason I started taking the screenshots is because of the childish attitude that Diallo Kenyatta had to calling her names. and Right. All now, I, I did address that. And, stuff, and that, that blew my mind because I don't operate that way with grown people. Right. So that just kind of put me on notice that something was going to come of this. Right. So I, I appreciate your input and Again, if it, if we're going to declare it dead, we need to know who's killing it and how it's being killed. Okay. Now, on one of the points you brought up when she was talking about is pan-Africanism is going to be dead if we don't get our tax dollars working for us here in America, That that's a domestic issue for us. I don't see that as being a, a part of pan-Africanism unless... We're getting African nations to put that pressure, to help us put that pressure or to put it in the spotlight And whenever they have these world conferences or through the UN and, and pointing out the depth. Matter of fact, the UN just came here and said, that, hey, you got people, and we know they was talking about black people, the majority of them, living in third world conditions in, in, in certain parts of the United States. Okay? Well, that... that- that report is, is actually going to be filed now. Catherine Flowers, uh, Catherine Coleman Flowers is a black woman that went down to Loudoun's County with that uh, with Alston, who was a U.N. man. Yes. Yeah, actually, she just sent me a message about three or four days ago that she was actually flying to Switzerland now where they're getting ready to present that report. But here's the other part that I was because I wasn't trying to take up all your time. The point it, with, with PLO uh, Lumumba and with some of the information that I've been following and telling you about Edna, the whole point is, the, uh, where, and you said it in your definition, 
it's not just about civilians when it comes to Pan-Africanism. Right. Back when the when the when the um, ancestors were doing this in the sixties, there were actually black leaders that were aiding in doing this, which means they had autonomy, they had the power, and they had the means and the mentality to advance Pan-Africanism. I'm going to ask you this, and then I'm going to mute myself, and it's the same question I asked Diallo, and then he cut me off. Name any one of the existing black politicians or heads of state in Africa that is advancing Pan-Africanism today. Name one. I will have to share those articles with you in BTR community, as I was stating earlier that I was just reading articles from the continent of Africa where they're pushing like uh, passport-free travel on the continent. We talked about Gaddafi, who we know was was uh, murdered by Hillary Clinton and, and Barack Obama. Um, I talked earlier about Ethiopia working with another nation and, and collaborating on economic development. So it is happening. It's just not so, happening on the degree. Excuse me. How does that? How does that connect to America? I've been. I, I all okay. The let me finish, quoted, Otis. I know. I know what they're doing on the continent. Let me finish, Otis. And I know. Huh? And I know they're having problems with it too. And uh, Africa has well, a lot. To let do me with finish. That. Let me finish. Uh-huh. I, again, from my definition, though, you just laid out how these Europeans and Americans, which Malcolm X spoke about it back then, we know how they have been actively sabotaging Pan-Africanism. That was the whole point of murdering Muammar Gaddafi. It's not going to help us in, in America or any other part of the diaspora until Africa rises above that imperialism and what have you. So that's what it said in my definition that once Africa is strong and independent, that then that will lift all African boats. Africa ain't there yet. They may not even get there in our lifetime because of AFROCOM, the CIA, the DEA. DEA has offices in Africa. The private prison companies, American-based and European-based, that are corrupting these politicians and what have you in these countries. But again, the definition also said it wasn't just governmental, it's grassroots based. And you do have grassroots based Pan-Africanists pushing for Pan-Africanism in Africa. So it's an ongoing process. Okay? And then it also said it's an it, it's a intellectual movement. We're practicing Pan-Africanism now. The New Abolitionist Radio uh, um, or the New Abolitionist Movement to a limited degree because we don't have that many resources are engaging in Pan-Africanism and, and collaborating with Africans to help them rein in the American model of prison slavery that's happening. So, you know, I take your point that we don't see a lot of it on, you know, we're not seeing a lot of it on the continent, but at the same time, we ain't, we, we, a lot of us aren't in tune to that information and what's happening on the ground. 
So I, I would just say Pan-Africanism isn't dead now. This is the last thing I have to say. I do need to get off air so I can go help my daughter. But this is what I'm saying. As I stated at the beginning, when I first came into this conversation about whether or not Pan-Africanism is dead, I made a video defending Yvette Carnell because what was I defending her from? Not her stance on Pan-Africanism, but the vicious vitriol that was being spewed at her because from people who disagreed with her, calling her a mulatto, talking about her light skin, talking about she's working for white supremacists and what have you. And, and I was like, look, that's incorrect. If you're, going, if you're going to disagree with another black person about something, disagree with them on the merits of the points that they're raising. Don't turn it into a personal thing. And so what you described to me with those other individuals that she got into it with, with this name calling. So that tells me that Yvette might be operating from emotion because of the attacks on her. And nobody's trying to come to her and, and, and say, hey, you want to know about Pan-Africanism? I'm a Pan-Africanist. I can inform you about this organization over there, this grassroots movement here. I can tell you about this foundation in Africa that's reaching out to the African diaspora to support black businesses. But when we engage in name calling and tearing down each other on a personal level, then all we're doing is putting on a show. Because people love to see train wrecks or car wrecks or what have you. And they like taking sides. It ain't about taking sides. It's about getting to the truth. It's about getting down to the facts. So again, my whole purpose today, I decided though, to focus on is Pan-Africanism dead? And if it's dead, who killed it? And Yvette is incorrect in attacking Africans by using examples of individual unconscious in the dark Africans who didn't have that taught to them coming up because again as Brother Krobner said we got African Americans right here that don't do nothing for our communities so do you expect Africa to be any different or any other part of the world it's about unifying with like minds, with common goals. And that's what we got to coalesce around and not engage in, in petty tribalism. That's what I'll call it. We can't do that, folks. Anyway, need to get off air. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Um, thank Brother Kwabana Rasuli. Check him out on Facebook. Clear the Airways Project. He's doing great work. And I would just echo his comments that do some research on Pan-Africanism. Find out if Pan-Africanism is something that's for you. Again, this, is, this started as an intellectual movement. The battles start in the mind. So study Pan-Africanism. See if you might already be practicing Pan-Africanism and didn't even have a name for it. And then see if you can connect with some Pan-Africanists and see what you can do to help lift the boats of all of those in the African diaspora. All right, again, 
Y'all, it's the weekend, so y'all be safe out there. The slave catchers out in full for, force. Y'all know they like to put up checkpoints. And as Gus, the context of white supremacy, says sobriety is best. Don't be drinking and driving. Don't be driving high. Don't get a slave catcher probable cause to be pulling you over and make a slave out of you. Okay? So y'all be safe. Peace and blessings to all. I'm out.